everybody back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host, Carson Graver, and today we are continuing our look back to the history of tennis. We've been doing a bunch of top tens because the ATP Tour is suspended until July 12th. And listen, that's probably what we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future, but I think we have a really good one today. We're going to be talking about the top 10 most unbreakable records in men's tennis history, looking at the open era because that is what we have been doing for all of these. The sport was just so different before then, and also it gives us a little bit of a more limited scope so we don't have to deal with, you know, over 100 years of history. So the number 10 most unbreakable record in men's tennis history is Jimmy Connors 651 consecutive weeks in the top four and 659 consecutive weeks ranked in the top five. So basically, to summarize, it's 12 and a half years without leaving the top four or the top five in the rankings for a moment. Second place in these records. When you're talking about consecutive weeks in the top four, it's Novak, it's Novak Djokovic with 525. Consecutive weeks in the top five is Yvonne Lendl with 558. So both of those are more than 100 weeks short of Connor's marks, which is essentially two years. So Djokovic has done it for a decade. It's incredibly impressive. Lendl's done it for a decade. It's incredibly impressive. But Connor still has a decent margin over them. And of course, he's famous for having perhaps the longest prime in tennis history. He was so good for so long. That's why he has the record for most titles at 109. That's why he was able to reach the semis of the 1991 U.S. Open because he was just exceptional. He was a freak in his durability and his ability to play the game at a high level for a longer time than anyone could until, of course, now Roger Federer is starting to compete with that and Ken Rosewall before him did the same. So, in this stretch... From 1973 to 1984, he finished every year in the top three. 1985 finished the year as world number four again. So 1985, now you're talking about the end of the streak, but still, even the three years after this, he was top 10 for three more years, which is just ridiculous. It's just such an incredible tennis career. And when you're talking about the volume of achievements, he's so high up there. He had 99 titles over this stretch. At one point, made 27 straight slam quarters. Now... That does not count in the official record books because he didn't play the Australian Open most years. But in slams that he played over that stretch, 27 straight slam quarters, which we might be talking about later because that's an incredible accomplishment, and 11 straight slam semis, again, in the slams that he played, which, again, is at truly historic levels. So if you're going to give a record of longevity to anyone, you're probably going to give it to Jimmy Connors. There were other candidates for this one that I'll get into later in the honorable mentions, uh, but I guess I'll shout them out now. I thought about including John McEnroe for single season winning percentage because he went 82-3. and three. I thought about considering Roger Federer, made 12 Wimbledon finals, which really no one's probably ever going to do again. I thought about Andy Murray, made the most finals appearance at a Grand Slam without a title, five Australian finals, never won one. But the reason I ended up going with this is because no member of the big three did it, and none of them are going to be able to do it. And that is a testament to the durability of a record because a lot of these records have been broken by these guys or they've come incredibly close, and that has not happened with this one. And so, yes, it's possible that someone will someday have Connors S longevity, but for it to not be Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal is pretty alarming because it requires not just such consistency of play, but such durability, which is what basically disqualifies Rafa. Of course, Djokovic has had a couple. He's really had one weird year in 2017 where it was both injuries and mental. Federer had some injury issues. So just to stay top five, we're not even talking top 10. You have to be on the court for almost the entire year. And listen, who else was going to do that but Jimmy Connor? So that's number 10. Number nine, 
features one of the guys that I was just talking about. It's Novak Djokovic with 31 top 10 wins in 2015. He had a 31-5 and record that year. Now, this is not a particularly prominent record, but it's going to be extremely difficult to break, and in the spirit of the name, I will say that it is unbreakable. Here's why. If we look at the second most top 10 wins ever in a single season, we have Djokovic winning 24 twice, Nadal winning 24, and John McEnroe winning 24. So they're basically at three quarters of his record. What he had to do in 2015 to achieve this record was so spectacular and so consistently dominant. You look at the competition he faced, he went 4-0 versus Nadal, 6-1 versus Murray, 5-3 versus Federer, 3-1 versus Vavrinka, 4-0 versus Burdick, 3-0 versus Ferrer, 3-0 versus Chilich, 2-0 versus Nishikori, and 1-0 versus Raonic. Again, that's a 31-5 record. So there's a few reasons that this record is unbreakable. First off, he won 86.1% of the top 10 matches he played. For reference, Nadal has a career-winning percentage against top 10 opponents of 65, Federer is 64.6, Djokovic is higher, he's the second highest ever at above 68, but 86.1 is ridiculous, and of course it's a smaller sample size, but it's not all that small, you're talking about 36 matches, most people will never dominate their competition at that level, even if they were to, they would not have this advantage, which is that he was so exceptional all around this year, that he made it consistently deep into every single tournament. He never lost early. He made the finals of every tournament he played this entire year, except for Doha, which was also the only tournament he played all year without a top 10 opponent, which was the first tournament of the year. So obviously, the deeper you go, the more higher-ranked people you play, and the more matches you play, but specifically the more higher-ranked people you play because of how the draw is structured. Then, we have this factor which is that he played in an era with very consistent top 10 opponents. You have Nadal, Murray, Federer, Vavrinka, Burdick, Ferrer. Those are guys that were top 10 for a decade, basically, and there's a reason for that, because they were highly consistent. So that enabled him to have these 36 top 10 matches in the first place, because when you look at other dominant seasons, you know, McEnroe, obviously, the famous 82-3 and three season, he won 24, but that's exceptionally high for a dominant season, because... You know, Federer in 2005-2006, he got just 15 and 19 top 10 wins respectively, and the reason is, that's a weaker era of tennis, where opponents just aren't consistent enough to consistently challenge him, and again, you can beat them, the more you beat them, the better your chance for the record is, but this was not just about Djokovic's dominance, it was also about the consistency of the people around him, so... Maybe it's not as significant of a record in the history book as McEnroe single season or as Fed's Wimbledon finals, but I think it's still a big enough record and it's going to be so difficult to break. Number eight, I have Roger Federer's 237 consecutive weeks at number one from 2004 to 2008. And I know what you guys are probably thinking. That seems too low because I understand that. There is a significant drop-off between him and second place. He had four and a half straight years at number one. Second is Jimmy Connors with 160 weeks. That's, you know, a year and a half less. Only Connors, Lendl, and Djokovic have ever even gotten halfway to Federer's mark. So this is incredibly convincing. It's an incredibly significant thing to have on your resume. So why do I have it at number eight? I'll get into that. So, from 2004 to through 2007, Federer had, I would say, definitely the most dominant four-year stretch in tennis history. He won 11 slam titles in four years, 42 titles overall, was the unquestioned top dog for that entire time. And even if you take it into the start of 2008, it's just an, an absolutely ridiculous stretch of tennis. 
But here's why I can see this being broken in some world. All it requires really is someone being better than Federer someday. It's not a freak one-off record like some of the things that we're going to talk about as we get deeper into this list. Some of these things where they are just freakish and there are certain circumstances that make it incredibly difficult to ever be achieved again. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long time before anyone gets 237 consecutive weeks because, again, it also helps to play in an era of tennis that isn't all that great because, you know, I'm sure there are eras where Djokovic could have done this, where Rafa probably could have done this. Maybe not Rafa because of the injuries, but... Federer had the advantage of playing in an era where the only real challenger was an up-and-coming Rafa, who eventually, of course, overtook him. So, yes, it's going to be a difficult one to break, but, you know, Sampras ended six straight years as world number one. If you are the clear top dog in tennis, things like this are possible, and so that's why I wouldn't completely um, discount this one being broken, although it is still unbreakable because it's on this list. What I think might be a more difficult record to break from Federer is his 14 years between the first and last time he was ranked number one. Rafa is the only other with at least 10 plus years in between at 11 and a half. But, I mean, this one just becomes more breakable as humans become more durable and are able to play quality athletics later into their 30s and maybe even into their 40s because if you're a prodigious talent you become world number one at 20, you just have to be world number one at 35, which, you know, easier said than done. I believe Fed's the only player to ever do that. But is there a world in which that becomes more possible and more common? Because for all we know, you know, Rafa and Djokovic might both do that. Yes, I think that is possible. So those are two incredibly difficult records to break, but I'm not going to put them in my top five. And I think that will make more sense as we get into some of the just more astonishing records. And number seven is one of those. Guess who holds this one? The famous Austrian Thomas Muster. And the record is finals win rate. So to qualify for this award on the Open Era Tennis Records Wikipedia page, you have to have a minimum of 30 titles, which I think is a good place to put this marker because that requires that you were actually a significant player. Obviously, you didn't go 1-0. I think that you could probably drop it down a little bit further, and you still wouldn't find anyone better than this record, but I'm not going to be the one to go search through all those matches. So, Mooster's finals win rate, and that's the percentage of finals he appeared in that he won, is 80%. He was 44-11 and 11 in finals. The fact that Thomas Mooster has this record is even more ridiculous because his career winning percentage is under 70. So he is way outperforming his career winning percentage in the biggest matches of his career, which is ridiculous. But when you look at second place in finals win rate, it's Borg and Sampras at 72.7%. They were both 64 and 24 exactly. And then John McEnroe and Rod Laver are the only two others even at 70 plus percent. There was a Huge drop-off between Mooster and everyone else, and it makes incredible sense. There's part of it that makes sense why Mooster's the one who did it. Because if you look at the breakdown, he's 7-2 in Masters 1000 finals, which is still incredible, remarkable. 1-0 in slam finals, so to go 8-2 across those two is really impressive. But then you think, whoa, that's a whole lot of other titles that are coming. So he was dominant in smaller tournaments, of course, and that's part of the formula. If a guy like David Ferrer were able to do that, which of course he wasn't, or Dominic Team. Young Dominic team, not so much anymore now that he's playing tournaments more selectively. Those are the kind of guys that are the candidates. But still, obviously, you are going to win a lower percentage of matches when they are finals because you are playing against the best competition. There are five guys to ever win 70-plus percent. And obviously, there are guys with career-winning percentages in the 80s, you know, because they're phenomenal players. 
But when you are playing the cream of the crop, you should get worse. For Thomas Mooster, that wasn't the case. Again, part of that is the competition he faced. Part of it is some indescribable clutch gene that he had within him. So I really, really don't see someone breaking that, considering the sample size that is required and the consistent dominance. To win four matches in the finals for every one you lose, I just don't see that happening for a long time. It is so peculiar, and really, I, I just don't even understand how it happened in the first place. Let's get to number six, which is a a record that I guess I created for, for myself. It exists, but I thought it was the best way to communicate this idea. It's the percentage of Grand Slam appearances that resulted in a title. Actually, that doesn't sound made up at all. That sounds very legitimate. And it belongs to Bjorn Borg. Shocker. He won 11 of the 28 slams that he appeared in. That's a 39.3% conversion rate as far as winning the whole thing. And of course, it's easy to understand why. He retired by 25. He won six of his last seven appearances at the French. He won five of his last six at Wimbledon. And another factor of this, he had an impressive finals record, which we, of course, were just talking about. He's second all-time in finals conversions overall. He was 11-5 and in slam finals, so you're winning more than two for every one you lose. He was 6-0 at the French in the finals and 5-1 and at Wimbledon. So, it's not just that he was an incredibly dominant force who retired, you could argue, during his peak. It's tough to say where he was going, and maybe McEnroe was just going to dismantle him. I don't know, but he certainly didn't stick around for too long. He didn't get the ugly years, and he was so good so young, winning his first French at, I believe, 18, that his he was just so dominant for almost his entire career. If you're looking at the competition, you have Laver at 33.3%, which is 5 for 15 in the open era. Obviously, he played uh, he won six slams before then, but those don't count for these purposes. Nadal at 32.2%, Djokovic at 28.3%, Sampras at 26.2%, Federer at 25.3%. So the only other person with even a third is Laver. Borg is basically two out of five. Two out of five slam appearances he appears in for his whole career. He wins the whole thing. And the the probability of another player that is that great retiring that young, not going to happen for a long time. Because generally, obviously, the great players are going to be the ones who are going to play for the longest. And with that, your probability at every tournament goes down and down as you get into your older years. And, you know, if Joker, I mean, if Federer retired in 2008, hey, I'm sure he would have had this record. But he didn't. And thank God he didn't because he's only solidified his case as probably the greatest tennis player of all time since then. If you're looking for maybe a more conventional record for Borg to hold here, he's also first in Grand Slam winning percentage at 89.8. Second is Nadal at 87.6. I see that record standing the test of time as well, but I'm not going to give Borg two Slam-related records because that's boring. It's like the same reason I didn't give Federer two ranking-related records. Let's get into the top five. And at number five... I have Rod Laver's 18 titles in 1969. The second most titles in a single calendar year is Guillermo Vilas with 16 in 1977, and no one since 1985 has more than 12. I think a lot of people can understand why this one is never going to be broken, because a huge part of the reason Laver has this record is that he played in 34 tournaments, which will never happen again with the top guys because it doesn't make sense with the ranking system, where 18 tournaments are counted uh, are countable for your for your ranking. So, you know, Djokovic and Nadal have played 18 tournaments in the last 52 weeks at the time of uh, the ATP suspension. Federer played 16, below the countable mark. And the guy in the top 100 who, plays the, who played the most was Thiago Montero, who played 32, because obviously he's grinding for every point that he can get. It's a completely different 
uh, world that he's playing in, but the top guys are never going to do that. So the nature of the sport has entirely changed, and that's why no one's cracked 12 in 35 years. It's not going to happen again. If none of the big three have done more than two-thirds of the record, it's not going to be broken as the sport continues to uh, to develop going forward, probably continuing in this direction of playing less tournaments and conserving your energy more for the big ones. So that one's going to be incredibly difficult to break. At number four, we have another Roger Federer sighting. And this one, there's sort of three records you can choose, and I'll talk about all of them. But the one I'm going with is 23 consecutive slam semifinals, which he achieved from 2004 to 2010. The other ones you could consider... 10 consecutive slam finals, which he holds alone. He did that from 2005 through 2007. He also made eight consecutive slam finals twice, which is insane because the best, the longest streak held by someone who isn't him is Djokovic with six. He made 36 consecutive slam quarters from 2004 to 2013. Second is Djokovic with 28. Now, Jimmy Connors, had it been in consecutive tournaments, would have been third with 27. But as is, third is Yvonne Lendl with 14. So, you know, Djokovic is the only one even close to him with these two, and it's the same thing with slam semis, where he's really not all that close. He's second with 14. Again, Federer is at 23, which he achieved from 2004 to 2010. And then third is Lendl with 10. So good for Lendl for being third here. Djokovic is the only guy that is even within shouting distance, but he's not all that close. So in this stretch... Federer was probably the most consistent and the most dominant player in tennis history. And part of that, of course, as I've talked about, is a weak era at the beginning of it, but it continued beyond that. Wimbledon 2004 through the Australian of 2010, 23 straight semis, 20 finals out of those 23 tournaments, and 14 titles. The streak was finally broken in 2010 at the French Open by Robin Soderling in the quarterfinals. So, of course, the quarterfinal streak continued, but you just got to think about this one logically. First of all, you know, the odds of missing an injury of missing one slam due to injury over a 6-year stretch, it's very possible that that happens. And even if it doesn't, you're going to make the semis at every single one. You maybe that sounds more doable than it is, but it's clearly not because, you know, you look at Rafa Nadal, he doesn't appear on any of these lists. He hasn't made 10 straight slam semis. Djokovic made 14, and it was during one of the greatest stretches of tennis of all time in his own career. So, at the end of the day, I just don't see it happening again because he has to be so feared and so dominant that people almost feel like they don't have a chance to compete. And that is an advantage that I think Federer had that I don't foresee a lot of other people having for a while. Let's move on to number three, where we have a Rafael Nadal sighting. And the record is longest single surface win streak. This one, I mean, this one will never be broken. I'm very confident that this one will never be broken. Mm, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I am confident. 81 straight wins on clay from 2005 to 2007. The second longest streak on any surface is Lendl with 66 on the now defunct carpet. And if you look at Rafa's performance from the stretch, it's so ridiculous. And the crazy part is that it starts in his teen years at 18 years old in 2005. He was so exceptional on the single surface. He won 13 straight tournaments on clay in this stretch. And it ended with a finals loss to Federer, who again maybe the greatest player of all time at the peak of his powers, in Hamburg, where it still went to three sets. Over these three years, he three-peated at Rome, Monte Carlo, and Barcelona. Threw a little bit of a Castilian lisp in there. I'm not really sure why, but I guess it felt right in the moment. So I don't see anyone breaking this record. It's three years without a loss on a surface when you put it in those terms, 
or I guess two, but come on, let's be generous here. He also has the highest match winning percentage on a single surface with 91.8% on clay, a 436 and 39 career record. I really don't see that being broken. Next best on any surface is Federer with with 87.4% uh, on grass. So he's 4.5% better than anyone else on any surface. I just, I don't see that being broken either. But again, it's a little bit boring to include two records that are basically covering the same concept from one guy. But at number two, I have another Nadal record, and it is another clay court record. And this one, of course, could not be left off any decent list. I don't know if you've heard, but Rafa Nadal has won 12 French Opens, and uh, that's a lot. That's a dozen. It's almost a baker's dozen, and he very well might make it a baker's dozen. He has 93 wins at the French. Second most in the tournament's history is Federer with 70. He dwarfs it in a shorter career versus two losses, 93-2, and two, a 97.9% .9 winning percentage. I think that most tennis fans can remember the two instances in which he's lost because they have been so rare and in fact, some recent comments came out from Joe Wilfried Sanga about how Nadal was sick at the 2009 French Open when he lost to Robin Soderling, when he was already known to have been struggling with tendonitis at that point. So, you know, maybe the only legitimate loss he ever had was to Djokovic, and maybe that loss wasn't even legitimate. Maybe he is literally invincible at Roland Garros. So from 2005 through 2008, he won every year. To win in your first appearance at 18, turning 19 years old, is insane in itself. And then to win three more straight, as you are this young up-and-coming. I mean, he became a dominant force pretty quickly, but still, he was so young. Then, as I mentioned, loses in 2009. 2010 through 2014, wins every year. 15-16, has a retirement and a loss to Djokovic. The retirement does not count to his win-loss record, thank God. And then 17 through 19, three-peats again, and... Uh, of course, has to be the overwhelming favorite every year going forward until he is retired and known to not be on the premise. On the premises, he won the tournament three times without losing a set in 2008, 2010, and 2017. It's just a level of dominance at a single tournament of any kind, not just a Grand Slam, a single tournament that I don't think we'll ever see again. Of course, he comes close to it himself at Monte Carlo and at Barcelona. No Castilian list this time. Didn't feel like it. But at the end of the day, it's just not going to happen again. And I'm not just talking about the French. I'm talking about at any Grand Slam because the only other person to ever make 10 finals at a single slam is Roger Federer at Wimbledon, who only has eight. So Djokovic, as great as he is at the Australian, he's not going to get to 12. Maybe he does. That would be pretty exciting. But I don't think it's going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen at the French. And Rafa is in all likelihood going to continue to add to this record, which is maybe the most sickening part. So you may be wondering, how are neither of those records number one? 81 straight match wins on a single surface, 12 French Opens, how could that not be number one? Well, maybe this is a little disappointing, but number one is Guillermo Vilas with 136 wins in 1977. Obviously, the record being the most wins in a single season. Second place is Ilya Nastasi with 121 in 1973. In the 2000s, no player has more than Roger Federer's 92, which came in 2006, which is basically two-thirds of Vilas. I mean, obviously, there's a number of reasons this happened. This comes back to the labor, uh, the labor issue of guys just don't play as many tournaments anymore, but also... This record was exceptional in its own time. Vilas had an incredible 1977 year, won a couple slams, 
had a 40-something match win streak, and on the year went 136-14, and which is a 90.7% winning percentage, won 16 titles, which, as I mentioned, is the um, second most, as I mentioned earlier, behind Laver in 69, and played 29 tournaments. So again, you're never going to have a guy play 29 tournaments if they're a truly top player, and if he did, he would have to have within that one of the greatest single seasons ever as far as efficiency because a 91% winning percentage, it's not top 10 all time, but it's got to be top 15, top 20. It was a, a season that I considered when I was ranking the 10 greatest single season performances in the history of men's tennis. And it was maybe my first cut or no, it wasn't my first cut, but it was close to it. So you have to have that caliber, that dominance and then also play in basically 30 tournaments. It's never going to happen again. Federer's 92 is the most of these 20 years. Vilas had 136. And again, second place is 15 away from that. So even back in his day, no one ever had a season like that. Let's get into the honorable mentions. As I mentioned, John McEnroe, single season winning percentage, 96.5 when he went 82-3 and three in 1984. I really wanted to have this one on because I don't feel like this is going to be broken. But there ended up being a couple more than 10 that I didn't think would be broken, at least for a very long time. Here's the reason I couldn't put this one on. Because Connors and Federer have both cracked 95. Federer's also had a 94.8% winning percentage season. Bjorn Borg and Djokovic have both cracked 93%. So as insane as 82 and 3 is and it's lasted for 36 years for a very good reason all it takes is an insane individual season which yeah it seems super unlikely but it could happen someday and people have come close and maybe it's this year maybe Djokovic goes 50 and 0 because you know we end up getting the season shortened I don't know it's just people have come too close to it as is for me to put it on my top 10 when the rest of these have such a comfortable margin I mentioned Federer with 12 Wimbledon finals. Second most at Wimbledon is Sampras and Becker. They both have seven. He made seven straight finals from 2003 through 2009. Also made it in 2012, 14, 15, 17, 19. He's gone back-to-back years without reaching the final once since 2003. But to achieve this record, he's had to play the tournament 21 times with the third highest winning percentage in tournament history. So... I mean, for a career to last as long as it has and be as consistently dominant as Fed's has been, I don't see that happening again for a long time. But at the end of the day, if I'm I'm probably not going to put three Fed records on there. I'd rather honor the Connors legacy. So that's why I gave that one number 10. And I also feel like it's going to be incredibly difficult to break. And the last one, probably not a positive record. So maybe that's part of the reason I left it off. Also, I don't think it belongs in the top 10, but it is an interesting one. Annie Murray. Five appearances at the Australian Open in the finals without a title. Did it in 2010, 11, 13, 15, 16. The last four of those he lost to Djokovic. Never went five sets in a single Australian Open final. So he never actually came all that close. Borg got four finals at the U.S. Open without uh, without ever clinching a title victory there. Lendl and Djokovic are the only two other guys to ever lose five slam finals at a specific slam, which they both did at the U.S. Open. But... They both also won three, and that's just the thinking behind this. Normally, if you get to a handful or more slam finals, you're good enough to win one. So even if you lose the first few times, you're going to get back and you're going to win one. So to break this, someone will have to do six 
Tie it? Sure, someone could tie it. But to break it, they'd have to go to six finals at, at one slam without ever winning it, which I just don't see happening for a very long time. So congrats, Andy Murray. That is your notable record on this one. It's the only negative one on this list, unfortunately. But what are you going to do? That's going to do it for us here today. I had a lot of fun with this one, and I hope that you all enjoyed listening. I've been Carson Breber, and this was Down the Line.